Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real World Productivity Podcast. I'm Adam Moody, and today I'm talking with Randy Clark, leadership trainer and Amazon bestselling leadership author. I want to talk to him about his background and experiences in leadership, and so we can all get a little bit of a deeper look, and I'm sure we are going to pick up uh, some useful information today. So welcome, Randy. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Definitely. Well, we're just going to jump right in like I usually do. Uh, my first question is just for you and about you and your background so we can all kind of get on the same page here. Could you share a bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, wow. I've been in management for a long time, and it's funny. I, uh, I, there's a Twitter chat called DigiBlog Chat. It's every Tuesday at uh, 1 o'clock your time, 4 o'clock Eastern. Um, and I wrote the questions for last Tuesdays and helped lead the conversation, but it was, it was about how to be a bad boss. <laughs> and I was the right person to do this because I was a really bad boss. So when I was first in management, um, the only training I had was kind of like by osmosis from my managers who weren't trained and didn't do the right things either. I had a, uh, this is not a humble brag, but a professor out in Oregon uh, had called me, contacted me. He's using my first uh, leadership book called the New Manager's Workbook uh, to train a class in supervision. And he called me and said, listen, I, I want you to know why I'm using this book because I've been looking and looking. And what you're showing in the book is what really happens. He said, when I got my, BS and my master's, I went out into business and said, this isn't what they talked about in the books. So anyway, most of what I, a lot of what I do is based on the mistakes that I made. So, yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate uh, that because I actually, that was a question I had written down because I saw that. Um, I forgot exactly where you wrote that, but you know, you said it comes from the mistakes you've made and that wanting, you know, to help others avoid that. Um, so I guess that kind of leads to an obvious question, but what do you feel like your biggest mistakes that led to, to growth and leadership? Oh were? God, how much time do we have? <laughs> Apparently not enough, but uh, let's, uh, well, let's focus on one or two, maybe. The, uh, man, um, last year I was asked by a group of, um, um, hospital, healthcare and administration people to speak with them. They wanted to have a little seminar on marketing. And they contacted me because of content development and management and social media. And I said, well, we can do that. But you know what? Let me look on your sites here because I'll bet you I can find some low-hanging fruit. So, And I, I think I missed the point on a lot of stuff early on looking for the low-hanging fruit, the stuff that's instead of delving too deep and looking for all this esoteric, wonderful things that I can make me better. Uh, one of them was, and it's, I think it's pretty common, is multitasking. Mm. And, um, you know, the brain doesn't work that way. Sometimes we're forced to. Um, I'm a little bit of a musician, and, and I'll play keyboards and sing. So that's, but it takes a lot of work and practice. And I, and I know if you're a mom, you're going to have to do several things. But your brain doesn't work in that way. The, the term multitasking was first used in 1966, describing a computer. What we do is we task switch. So, and that hurts our own productivity. But when you're a manager, as a manager, I caused it with my team. I would take somebody or a group of people off of one thing, run them to another because it was this new urgent fire, right? And it's like, it's like when you're reading a book and you get pulled away 
what happens mm -hmm. when you come back at them. Takes you time. You forget where you're at, where the story is, what's the plot. Yeah. Yeah. And in business, it can also lead to mistakes. So one of the things that, that I think is important is to make sure that not only are, aren't you multitasking, that you're not causing your team to try to do that. Now, are there going to be times that you have to pull your team off of something and go to something else? Mm -hmm. Yes. But dispel the myth of multitasking because there's so many people that think they should be able to do that. And when they're not good at it, they think there's something missing with them. And teach your team, team when they do have to change to mark their place. Interesting. Take a moment and mark where you're at in it. I like it. Uh, it to me, that kind of reminds me. I think I came at this a different way um, as far as coming at it from a productivity angle and kind of being exposed to the idea of deep work from Cal Newport and, you know, saying, you know, focus on one thing, go deep, give yourself blocks of time. Um, and I feel that that's kind of the same way, just coming at it from a different angle. Yeah, well, there was a, huh, there was something that I picked up years ago that really helped me that I think is similar. It was called mm -hmm. the gumption factor. I know I haven't read the book, but I think that the uh, the book uh, Eat the Frog is based on the same idea. And the gumption factor, and when I've shared this, this has helped a lot of people, is the idea of taking the most difficult, the most daunting, the most stressful task, and whenever you can, which isn't always, doing it first, mm -hmm. get, getting it out of the way. And it sets up all kinds of good juju for the rest of the day. I mean, it releases endorphins that, man, that, that stress is off. I'm, I'm got this out of my system, and now I can go on to the next thing. So the gumption factor. So, And that, oh, that's good. been a big I'll one for me and for a lot of people. Yeah, I haven't heard of that, but I'll, I'll definitely look it up. Um, yeah, and I, I feel bad. I'm not going to be able to give credit where credit is due, but just yesterday I was reading something, and somebody was describing their kind of uh, daily routine and how they do stuff and saying, you know, I don't really have a big structure, but the one rule I do have is that I get anything – uh, that's kind of pressing on me, uh, you know, even though it may not be the one thing I need to get done that day, they're like, I can't work if I don't get it off my plate because it's going to be there nagging me the entire time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it, yeah, I used it to help me with procrastination, which is, it's funny, people sometimes think that's a time management problem. It's not, it's a thought process problem, mm -hmm. I think. Um, I, early on, I managed uh, through fear and the, the bad thing is that uh, it can bring some success, but but we both know what happens in the in the long run. You know, it's a, you ruin the culture, you lose people, you have people fighting against you. And and then I when I figured that out after losing team after team, then I went too far being the really nice manager, mm. which wouldn't hold people accountable. It's funny, Inc. a couple of years ago did a survey of 4,000 senior executives. And I know surveys aren't fact, they're opinion, you know. But 46% admitted that there were times they did not uh, hold people accountable for fear of confrontation. Do you, by the way, Adam, do you know what I think of that number, 46%? No, I have no idea. There's a lot of liars. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Because <laughs> almost everybody has done that. Sure, sure. So, so I had to stop and, and learn that if I was holding somebody accountable, it was to help them. So I changed my, my mind from instead of even saying holding accountable or confrontation or corrective action to I'm coming from help. I have something I want to help you with. So 
Oh, that makes sense. And that's something I, you know, you've uh, got much more experience, but I can, you know, certainly agree with just over the past year, I'm working with my project manager and we have a couple part-time people working for us. And, you know, we kind of let one go a little bit too far, whereas like, well, they kind of made small mistakes, but was it worth it to really dive in and correct them? And of course the answer is yes, yes it is, but we put it off and put it off and then, you know, finally felt the pain bad enough. And we both, you know, agreed and had kind of an after action and was like, this is our fault. You know, it's it's partially their fault for doing substandard work, but in the end, it's our fault for letting it go. And we have now done them a disservice by not correcting that yeah. sooner. Yeah. A couple of years ago, might have been longer than that. Anyway, I had a just out of school HR manager at the company I was working with and an IT manager who had never managed anybody. Right. And they hired an assistant. Um, and then they came to me because it wasn't working out. He wasn't meeting their, their expectations. So the first thing I asked him was, okay, have you shared that with him? And they both looked at their shoes, said no. And I said, well, that's the first thing. You need to share that with him and share what your expectations are and give him a path to be able to meet those expectations. And then you might even want to put a time period on it for review, right? So, um, they did, and they gave it 30 days, and, and they took the whole 30 days. I probably would not have because he did not make any progress, right? Yeah. But in 30 days, they came to me and said, well, he's not making progress. Now what do we do? And I said, well, the first thing you try is you ask him how, you think he, how he thinks he's doing. You review what the expectations were, and then without any emotion, just say, are you meeting these goals? How do you think you're doing? And, of course, they both said being new to management, well, he won't admit that. Well, I said, well, you might be surprised, but if he doesn't, then you share the the logical reasons, with, again, without emotion, why he's not hitting it. So, you know, the story, they brought him in, and not only did he say, I'm sorry, I'm not making it, but I was going to let you know I found another job. <laughs> so. Oh, man. Well. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. I'm glad I haven't been in that position. But yeah, it's good to see that outcome. And, and I can really look back now and see those times where I should have done that. And I like your suggestion of putting that time period on it saying, yeah, yeah don't just say correct it, you know, hey, here, you got 30 days, and then we're going to sit down and, and see how things are going. But what really helped me is to mm -hmm. change my mindset to coming from help and, and use that when I talk to them. Hey, I've got something I want to help you with. And I also, I'm a big believer in the sandwich method of uh, corrective action. Are you familiar with that? I've got an inkling, but I'm not sure how it's going to apply here. So. Well, it's really old, like me. Um, and when I first was introduced to it, I thought it was some kind of like scammy thing. Because the idea was you have a piece of bread, the, the top of the sandwiches, you say something nice, and then you do the critique, and then you say something nice again. Right. Well, there's a couple of keys to it. Um, that first piece of bread, that, that positive thing you say, has to be sincere, has to be real, has to be something you know about this person. And if you don't, you're, you can't use it. You're not the person to do it. But, but I could look at you and say, Adam, I count on you for these podcasts. You are a great interviewer. I don't know who else could do this. However, uh, you got to start being on time, man. <laughs> okay, now Adam was on time. But <laughs> if you're not on time, you're going to lose guests. Does that make sense? So, and I, again, do you know why I'm saying this to you, Adam? We're role playing here, but uh, yeah. You know well, I, I think I might have an idea, but I'm not sure. Can you tell me? Yeah, 
and I can explain it again, but a lot yeah, of times yeah. what I'll get when that bottom piece is, do you, do you know why I'm doing this? They'll say, yeah, you're trying to help me, boss. Yeah. And I'm telling you, this has really helped a lot of managers. The other day I was talking with some people about recognition mm-hmm. and how important it is. And again, survey after survey, you know, not everybody wants recognition and not everybody wants it the same way. So, so here's my first point. I remember years ago, recognizing a, a teammate, an employee in front of the whole team. And he came to me after the meeting in my office and said, boy, thank you for doing that. Please don't do that in front of everybody again. <laughs> I want it in front of everybody. Yeah. I'm an extrovert, right? He didn't because guess what? He's, he's not me. Yep. But I, I had a, a, a manager and he did this with his youth group at church and with employees that said, he, he didn't just throw recognition out there because he thought it would diminish it. He wasn't going to give a trophy to everybody, you know. Um, and I don't know if I, I, I got him to change his mind, but, you know, recognition is important to employees. A lot of employees will stay or leave because they're getting that or not getting it. But it's a great management tool. And here's why as a manager, as a leader, you want to give recognition. People... A lot, not everybody, but a lot of people have a tendency to repeat the behaviors that brought them positive recognition. So if you want somebody to repeat those behaviors, then compliment, recognize, and appreciate those behaviors. And take it one step further. Nothing wrong with a platitude. Thank you. Good job. Love what you did, did on the Smith deal. However, the more specific you can be about the recognition, the more chance there is they will repeat it. For example, hey, when you did the Smith deal, I saw that you went through process A and that didn't work and you had to go to B on this and then C. And you know what? That was really sharp. I, I, I like how you did that. You got a good chance of them doing that again. So, anyway. I, yeah, I like that. Uh, that's something I've, yeah, again, you know, kind of scratching my own itch here. That's something I've had to figure out and I have not hit that nail on the head. But my takeaway from this is definitely going to be to look into that, how maybe, maybe it's something uh, you can – feel free to offer some input maybe once a month. I just, even though I only have a small team, uh, four or five people, but just saying once a month, I need to sit down, think up, you know, or look back on what's happened and and publicly, you know, um, as public as we can be right now. So on a Slack channel or something, you know, Mm -hmm. say, Hey, uh, Alex, you know, you did a superb job with this client doing X, Y, and Z. I wanted everyone to know that, you know, you got great feedback on that or something like that. Um, Yeah. With virtual things now, I guess, do you think that that, I guess the same thing applies, you know, finding out what people like, but, you know, does that sound like a good method for someone like me who maybe doesn't have any process in place for this? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about recognition. Mm-hmm. So the first thing, and you just hit on it again, is to find out how they want the recognition. Because if you've got a group Zoom chat and this person doesn't like that, mm-hmm. you're making them uncomfortable. But if they love a, a, a snail mail card in the mail, then that's how you do it. The next thing is you look at, okay, what what deserves recognition? Well, milestones, you know, and achievements. Although most people, I've never heard anybody say, well, I stayed with the company because they gave me a five-year pin, you know. Yeah. So, but, but milestones. Results, which is what most people recognize. However, that, that's limited. Those, that's history. Nothing wrong with it, but that's history. Character. 
I once, as a VP of operations for one of the top 50 home remodeling companies in America, uh, recognized that an employee that was being made a VP um, and, and talked about uh, how his dependability, and it was more than dependability, he would look for what needed fixed. And, and anyway, I talked for several minutes on it at this banquet. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, he was an extrovert and he liked it. His <laughs> wife called me the next day and said, thank you so much. You don't know how much that meant to him. I know that about him, but he doesn't. And he just went home beaming. So so it can be just character, not, not the results. Recognize the process. Yeah, good results. Stop, drop, and roll and think about, okay, what got them there? Because I want to say a great job on this, but I want to talk about what got them there. And again, do you know why you want to talk about that? Uh, I would think because, like anything, if you're getting good results, you want to get more results like that. So you wanted to repeat those that behaviors and activities yeah. that got them there. So, yeah. And you can, it can, you can recognize whenever it comes up. You know, nothing wrong with a monthly meeting thing too, but you, you see something that's what was, you go, wow. Again, take a moment and give them that recognition. I like it. I like it. All right. So while we were talking back at the beginning, I wrote myself a note. I definitely want to cover this. So kind of moving up maybe the food chain a little bit here. Um, you know, once you feel like you're in a leadership position, whether, you know, you're starting a small business, uh, you're building a small team, or maybe it's in a workplace, you're getting to the point potentially where you have a small team and you need to start delegating uh, supervision to someone else. How can leaders cultivate good leaders? And I understand that this is a far ranging question, but um, again, if there's one area of that that you feel strongly about, I'd love to hear that. I know for myself and for a lot of people, what held me back uh, from cultivating leaders was my micromanagement. Mm. Um, And if you think that nobody can do it as good as you, if you think that you're the only one that can do it, if you don't trust your team, if you don't give responsibility to your team, if you don't ask for your team's advice, you may be a micromanager. It's funny for me, and I think for a lot of people, it was uh, some of it was insecurity. Mm. And I just take over jobs. And, you know, if you ever come in and just take something over without talking about it, no, here, let me have that. I'll do it. I'll finish it. Right. Yeah. Um, I had to come to the realization that if it all depends on me, we have a very limited uh, uh, level that we're going to hit. Yeah. We're not going to get enough done. So that, that was a, a big one for me. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I know with, uh, again, myself, I, you know, like everyone draw highly on my own experiences, but as growing uh, a couple of teams and I've never gotten past the like four or five, uh, but trying to start delegating that over the past couple of years. And I think part of it just came from where a lot of uh, business owners or small business owners start doing everything themselves because they have to out of necessity. And then it's just, that's the way it's done. And, I, and I've read books, I understood delegation. And then I finally took a step up and looked and I was like, oh man, that's me. I'm still trying to do everything. What is going on? So it, it was interesting to know that that was an obstacle and to still run into it and, and to have to deal with that. It's interesting too, as you grow from a smaller company to a larger company, your focus should be working 
on the business rather than in the business. So obviously when you're a solopreneur or a, or a small team, you, you got to do both. You're working on the business and in the business. I was working for a uh, home remodeling company. I was in sales and as a sales manager, um, I spent 70% of my time working in the business. I, I had a philosophy of not, don't write alone. So I never went on a sales call without somebody with me, mm. either somebody in training, somebody I wanted they were doing or somebody that was going, going to go into management or another manager. So anyway, uh, when I became district manager, it went down to probably 30% of my time working uh, in the business because I would go out on appointments with other, with my managers, with my management team. When I became VP uh, of operations, I did almost zero in the business. I worked on the business. I put together training manuals and checklists and et cetera. So I, I think that as you grow, you, uh, a business person and an entrepreneur needs to think about, okay, how can I work on the business who can do this for me in the business so I don't have to do that. I was at a seminar years ago at Indiana University Kelly Business School, and the head of the, the school was in his 70s then and still working. He had been a real business person, owned a Studebaker dealership in South Bend, Indiana, where they were made. Yeah. And he asked the question, uh, who should you hire next? And there was myriad answers to it and he said okay when you can hire somebody to take over something that you already know how to do and the discussion on that was like oh wait a second what huh so okay <laughs> well if you need an attorney if you need an engineer then you can't do that yeah but if somebody that you can hire to do what you know how to do you know how to manage them you know how to teach them you know how they're doing and you can move on to something else so Definitely. I thought that was interesting. So. Yeah, I'd heard the same thing roughly as just, you know, yeah, once you have a pain point, you know, that's big enough, you use that. But I like your, I think this is the, the caveat, you know, what, if it's something you know how to do, especially with a small team, you can easily hand that off. So if you can get it over yourself, I guess. <laughs> that's hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, the other well, thing, oh, in 2008, I left a, a position, the VP position, went out on my own, started doing leadership training. Mm -hmm. And um, and I knew from my past experience that there wasn't a lot of training out there, but I was kind of like naive and taken aback at how little leadership development and manning tra management training was offered yep. from place to place to place that I went. So I started doing the outline for the my book, the Manager's Workbook, A Crash Course in Effective Management. Um, but the other way that you develop leaders, you, you have to have a formalized training system and train leaders, you know, you don't, don't just throw them in the deep end and see, see, you know, let them sink or swim, you know? Yeah. So that book, and I don't mean this as, as a promotion, it is so, um, has, I think 13 modules of, you know, like how to delegate, mm -hmm. you know, how to do behavior modification. And then it's got forms that you can make into your own and what, how, and why, but it's, it's, you can take that book and hand it, there's a company that has 4,000 employees that I don't know how many they gave it to, but they bought it for all their new managers and they put it on lessonly. And I gave them permission to do that. And that's their management development training program, you know? So, so you need to train managers, you know? 
Makes sense. And I'm going to use this as a little bit of a segue into uh, kind of the third area here. But you, you mentioned delegation. And again, mm -hmm. this is an area where I felt like, oh, of course, I know how to delegate. You know, this is everyone delegates. You just, you know, you hand something off. You know, you try to do the best job you can and get people started. But I, I had recently in the past couple of months come across a uh, post on a website called Profit Factory. And uh, they had something in here and I really realized that maybe my delegation was not uh, not so good. And, you know, they're, what they listed is, I'll, I'll include this in the show notes for anyone interested, but, you know, giving someone the vision of what you want done, making sure they have the resources to get it done. Um, and this can be many, a myriad of things, passwords, uh, uh, a sketch for a designer or anything like that. And then a definition of done. Um, do you have an image of the complete project? Things like that. But what I loved at the end there, they said, remember as a leader, your true work is in the first 10% of any project, setting the vision and communicating the strategy. Um, you know, yeah, perhaps when you started, it made sense for you to do the middle 80%, but now you've got other people to help with actually doing it. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, that's you, so important to, to set your expectations to make sure that somebody has the tools that they need whether that's physical tools or the authority or the personnel to do the job. A, a big mistake that a lot of, couple of mistakes people make with delegation is not following up till the end. Shame on you. Mm -hmm. You need to check throughout the project, not just at the end of the project. And then another mistake that I've done is giving things that had a low chance of success or things that I didn't want to do because they had a low chance of success. So I <laughs> delegated. So yeah, prepare, give expectations, prepare the people. <clears throat> I think it's <clears throat> whenever you can, it's good when you delegate to have a discussion about you share what you want, what your expectations are, what it looks like when it's done, but then talk about have a discussion with the team about how to do it and let them give some input. And you know what, whether the final set of activities is, is what they said, since they were a part of that, it's no longer just your plan. Yep. It's their plan. So. Yeah, that, I think that's really good. And something, uh, again, I've recently been putting into place is that uh, transferring kind of responsibility or ownership of it and saying, you know, this is your, your project, you are responsible, you know, for this and having them, you know, again, take ownership of that. But mm -hmm. with that goes the trust because you can't do that and then micromanage them. <laughs> so, yeah. Another big mistake in management, and I touched on it earlier, is um, we think that everybody is us. Mm -hmm. And even though we know that's not true because you pick up the newspaper and you see people that did odious things that aren't you, we still do that. So we think people learn like we do. Yep. And, and here's an example. We have a tendency to train within our modality, our learning style. I'm tactile. I'm hands-on. So if you tried to show me a computer program and you're showing me, you're, it's going to be very difficult. If you let me get at the board and do it, right? So guess how I tried, I, I tried to train everybody. So you have to learn to, 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 lear, learn, to learn how your teammates learn and, and train that way. So there are several um, uh, modality little quizzes online that are free. Mm -hmm. you, it can be as simple as saying, hey, when you were successful in school or past training and that, how did you learn? What's the best way for me to give you the information? We think people are us on how they're motivated. I was in sales for several years, and most of the people I worked with were very money motivated, mm -hmm. and they had bonuses, blah, blah, blah. I'm not. And that confused them. 
I'm motivated by recognition. I'm motivated by winning. I want to win. I'm motivated by being part of the team. Money, that's yeah, nice. I got to have it, but yeah. So um, we also think people have the same talents that we do. My wife and I have been married 30 years. I have an almost perfect time sense. I can tell you, she'll say what time is it, and I tell her, right? I know how long it takes to cook something, to do an activity. She doesn't have that. My wife has an almost perfect sense of direction. She can stand someplace strange and say, look north, and I'm looking, I'm looking south. I have no <laughs> idea. I was driving along the east coast of Florida with my youngest daughter years ago, and she said, dad, turn east. And I said, which way is that? She said, over by that blue water. <laughs> so my point is, we, uh, for years, I would be confused about why my wife wasn't ready. She might wonder why in the heck does he know which way is north? It's because, you know what, we have different talents. So I think one of the things I, I wrote about this, there's a fellow in 2016 that wrote a book, and I forget his name, called The Platinum Rule. But this is something that I've, I've thought for years. As a matter of fact, maybe eight years ago or so, there was a group of us at a dinner, and somebody asked about motivation, and another member of the, the group said, well, just follow the golden rule, treat people how, how, you want, how you would want to be treated. And I and Robbie Slaughter at the same time looked at Adam and said, no, treat people how they want to be treated. So I, that thought process of, and I'm not trying to be religious here because that, that, that point of view, I think, is in almost every religion, treat mm -hmm. others how you want to be treated. You know, that's a cop-out. That's an easy way. That, that causes problems. It's a lot more difficult to figure out how somebody else wants to be treated and then when you can do that. So That is good. I'm going to be I'm just being quiet here for a second. I'm writing that one down. That's, that's a uh, good keeper and something I need to keep in mind. I think that's good for everyone, too. Um, on, you know, you just my, get so... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm bad about interrupting. On, no. my, on my site, there's a, a platinum rule. It's one of the most, the more recent, more popular posts. So it's a short read. All of my stuff, short reads. So. Gotcha. Well, uh, this is good. So we got time for two more questions. And one of okay. these um, is a little bit, maybe a curveball, at least to listeners in terms of having been talking about leadership, but, you know, we're talking about writing and I know you've written quite a bit. So both books and articles. So I've found generally, or at least this is my feeling that there's some really organized or efficient people when you see kind of prolific writing coming from them. So I'm just curious, how would you describe your writing process? Well, if you want to, if you want to get a real feel for it, then go to Amazon and put in how to stay ahead of your business blog forever. Oh, perfect. And that's, that's one of my books. So, yeah. and it talks about more than just that. Mm -hmm. So, um, hmm. yeah, you're, you, you hit the nail on the head. You have to be organized. Um, for blogs, the way that what I advise people is to uh, at a minimum, if it's a business, put out one, one, one new post, publish one new post a week. Mm -hmm. But before you do that, write eight. Have eight ready. Take the pressure off. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm doing something new that's loosely based on Ben Franklin's uh, um, five-hour plan. Do, have you ever heard of that? I have, but it's been a while. Can you give me a refresher? Embraced by Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey and, and Warren Buffett. But it's basically, 
five days a week, one hour study. So I didn't necessarily want to study, but what I wanted to do was to, to get to some things that I'm not doing. So I'm calling my 90. I wrote about this on the, on the leadership side too. Um, but yours might be 30, it might be 15. My 90 is six days a week, 30 minutes of exercise, 30, 30 minutes of keyboard, mm-hmm. and 30 minutes of writing fiction. And I've been putting off and putting off and putting off writing fiction. And mine's, uh, most of it's kind of a, it's a flash sci-fi short story fiction. It's, somebody described it as um, Twilight Zone-ish. Okay. One of the stories I wrote in 2008, and it's been sitting since 2008. In 2016, (laughs) I sent it to my editor and he said, I have good news and bad news. The good news is it sounds like something from Black Mirror. The bad news is it sounds like something from Black Mirror. <laughs> so I've been doing that for a couple of months now. Today, I wrote my 16th short story. I have 16,740 words. You divide that out by the 16. I think it's 1141. The, a- the average uh, short story compilation is 40,000 words. So I'm pacing to have enough by the end of January to publish a book of short stories. By the way, that pacing thing I did is just, is really interesting. And I know I'm rambling off here, but no, no, this is good. I, I, I ran sales departments where I would hit my goals and quotas and come just right down to them, beat them and hit them. Mm-hmm. But what I did was I would pace usually on a monthly basis. So, for example, my, my first book, Months to Day, Date, has sold 46, 47 books, right? Just that one book. So I divide that by the 16 days yesterday, mm-hmm. have that number, take it times the 30 days for the month, and it shows me what I'm pacing ah. to sell for the month. So then what you can do with that, whether you're talking about books or you're talking about selling vacuum cleaners or whatever, you can adjust your marketing and your effort to make sure you get on those goals or if you're on and look at what you've been doing and repeat that. So pacing. Definitely. I like that. Yeah. I think that, that obviously has some wider uh, uses, but that, oh, yeah. that's a good one. All right. Well, uh, the last question for you today uh, also has to do with writing. Um, it doesn't have to be a book, but a piece of media, something like that. But uh, the general question is what book do you find yourself recommending the most to people nowadays? Oh, can I can I say a couple? Uh, definitely. Okay. So usually, what's in my mind is what's just been there. So um, what what I yeah what what's just been there. What it, what I'm looking at currently. One that I'm not looking at right now, but I've read a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, my uh, uh, let's see, Taylor Bolt. Uh, my uh, what the heck's the name of it? My, my stroke of insight. Okay. She's a, a brain surgeon. Uh, uh, oh, uh, did she do a TED Talk? She did do a TED okay, Talk. Okay, I've heard the TED amazing. Talk. That's the awesome. The book is amazing. It taught me a lot of stuff. Um, this one I keep going back to. This is, it's about critical thinking. Asking the Right Questions by Neil Brown and Stuart Kelly. Hmm. And I am going to guess that's a recommendation because questions I find uh, you want to get good results and good answers. Asking the right questions is generally well, that. 
Yeah, it's more than just the, the questions to, yeah, for example, there's a whole section on fallacies, mm. you know, ad hominems and, and slippery slopes and all of the stuff that you hear, and I won't take sides here, although I have sides, that you hear during the election year. Sure. You know, instead of just the facts, like, okay, well, they're a bad person. That's why they said that. Oh, come on. So, um, Mark Coleman, make peace with your mind. All right. You know, when you have that inner voice telling you how bad you are? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Two of the the things I love about both of these books is they both have action plans at the end. For example, in in my blogging book, at the end of each chapter, it's got an action plan and a form for you to make your own plan. That's what these have. So they put you to work. And then one of my old favorites that I'm going back, going through right now, reading three or four books at the same time again. But Carl Sagan, mm. this is the varieties of scientific experience. So any of his books. I will have to look at that. I hadn't uh, read that one. And then if you just need a laugh, Janet Ivanovich. <laughs> to write all this down all right well we have got we i have got some stuff to look into so i appreciate that this turns into uh quite the reading list for me i really appreciate all the uh good recommendations so uh, follow up anytime and if any of any of your listeners want mm -hmm. to follow up i'm easy to get a hold of so and i like if it's about leadership or writing i love it so well, definitely. And, you know, Randy, I appreciate you coming on and answering, you know, a wide variety of questions and, and talking about this. So I'm, I know I got a lot out of it. I'm sure everyone listening uh, is going to get something out of this as well. So, you know, like you were saying, where should people go, though, if they want to get in touch with you or find out what you're working on? Go to the Randy Clark Leadership dot com is the best place. And, uh, you know, I put out a couple of blogs a week. Uh, Mondays, I put out one on leadership. Thursdays, I put one that can be kind of fun, but make you think, I hope. So today's was uh, 10 outdated phrases, and I put about 30 in, so. Yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. All right, thanks, yeah, so Randy. So make sure you go to that, don't let the bed bugs bite. So, <laughs> so hey, so you talk, talk, we talked about a lot of subjects. So did the ADHD show, did it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it did, it's on both sides. I was like, I've got scribbled <laughs> notes everywhere. Like, this is how I do it. So yeah. uh, anyway, hey. thank you again so much. Yeah, stay in touch too, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Real World Productivity Podcast. If you know someone that would enjoy this episode, please grab the link and send it via email, message, or whatever means works best. Now, if you're looking for more ways to increase your productivity, time management, and team building skills, be sure to go to productivity.academy resources to find out what tools, cheat sheets, and services can get you started and make the most impact right now. For those who want to make fast changes and want to save dozens of hours, I highly recommend joining the 14-Day Productivity Foundation Challenge at productivity.academy slash foundation challenge. This 14-day challenge takes minutes per day, but will help you develop or improve your daily review to get more done with less distractions and loss of focus. You'll also get over-the-shoulder directions for setting up an automation to save dozens of hours and the process for deciding what else you should automate and how to do it. And if you're serious about continuous improvement and you know that productivity, time management, and team building will impact every area of your personal and professional life, join us in the Growth Automation Membership. Find out more at productivity.academy slash join.